Good morning. Good morning. Or good Lord morning. <laughs> I want you to take your Bibles out and turn to Acts chapter 12. We're going to look at four stories in Acts chapter 12, and you're going to learn that God has a unique calling on every life. And it's our responsibility as individuals to press into God and to learn, Lord, what is it you want to do in my heart and in my life? And we've just heard about, say, families, and you think of those children that are brought into homes where there's safety and security and peace and love and all of those things, and those children get a good foundation for where they want to go in life. When I married Joyce, I married into a family and into her mother who had had hundreds and hundreds of children in the home over the years. And every week it would be somebody different. And you learn after a while, the short time that you have, you want to make an investment in a life. So I want you to think about all the people that have invested in you over the years. And that you come to that place in your life today where you ask the question, Lord, what else do you want to do in my heart and in my life? And so Acts 12 gives us four stories. It gives us a man by the name of Herod, and we hear a lot about the Herods of Scripture. There's some in the life of Jesus, Herod the Great. There's some in the life of James and Peter, Herod Agrippa. There's some later on in Paul's life, Herod, uh, whatever the last one is. Jason probably knows Agrippa. And so you learn after a while that God's at work, but not everybody responds to God. Not everybody says yes to being led by Him. I'm grateful when I look around that there are people of God in every strata of society. You meet them, and you say, Lord, this is really wonderful. And so in Acts chapter 12, it starts out where it says at that time, King Herod laid hands on some from the church to harm them. Or he laid hands, violent hands, on members of the church. And so his job at that stage of his life was, I'm jealous, I'm insecure, and I'm going to make the Jews proud of me, and I'm going to lay hands upon some in the church, and he's going to imprison them, and eventually he grabs hold of one of the leaders, James. And James is one of the men that you hear about often as part of the inner circle. Peter, James, and John in their walk with Jesus. And he lays hands on James, the brother of John, and he executes him with the sword. So you step back, and you look at that, and you go, whoa, Luke, you are writing this, and you don't give us any more detail about this story. All you say is that Herod got hold of James, put him in jail, and then to please the Jews of the day, executed James. But isn't he an apostle? Yep, the first of the apostles to be executed. Didn't he see all the things and do all the things with Jesus and have those moments of intimacy? Yes. But let's look at it from a biblical perspective. James has the honor of wearing now a martyr's crown. He has the honor of laying his life down on behalf of Jesus Christ, to be faithful in his testimony to the very last moment of his life. When you look at that from a natural perspective, it's like, whoa, 
That's pretty heavy duty, but from a spiritual perspective and with your eyes stamped with eternity, it's an honor that James was able to stay faithful to the very end. That's one story. And so when Herod saw this pleased the Jews, he decided to arrest Peter as well. And this took place during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, so it's during the Passover season. And when he had seized Peter, he put him in prison, handing him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. Now, Peter, if you know in the early chapters of the book of Acts, Peter has this thing where God gets him out of jail. And I'm sure that every prisoner that's ever been in prison has read this and said, Lord, I claim this for my life. They don't look at James. That's a little too scary. But they look at Peter and say, look, if you got him out, get me out. Four squads, that's 16 soldiers, are going to guard this one disciple named Peter. Herod planned to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Remind you of Jesus? Same thing. So Peter was kept in prison, but those in the church were earnestly praying to God for him. I want you to remember that. Earnestly praying. Why? Because James had already been beheaded. Others had been arrested. Things were not going as smoothly as they once did when thousands were swept into the kingdom through one message that Peter preached and that they were gathering at homes all over Jerusalem. But all of a sudden, things were starting to turn against the church. So they went to prayer and they went to that kind of prayer that is heartfelt. It's not just from your head. It's coming from their hearts now and they begin to pray earnestly to God for him. On the very night before Herod was going to bring him out for trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Now just think of your life. When you have a restless night and you're not going to be killed in the morning, and you say to yourself, what was it in Peter that allowed him to sleep? He's got chains on both hands. He's got soldiers on either side of him. Often the prisoner was naked and he's asleep. And he's scheduled to have his head removed the following morning. How many would like that kind of peace in their life? <laughs> Absolutely. He's bound with chains, and while guards are in front of the door, we're keeping watch over the prison. So it's not just that he's chained, it's not just that he's in prison, there's also guards in the prison protecting the doors. Suddenly, everybody say suddenly. An angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the prison cell. Peter's still asleep. So the angel does one of these, get up, taps him on the side, wakes him up and says, Peter, get up quickly. You're not Barry Boucher. He doesn't get up very quickly, but you get up quickly. We've got some things to do. And the angel did that. The chains fell off Peter's wrists. How did they fall off your wrists? There's a supernatural dynamic going on here that is way beyond the natural. And God is doing something in the cell. 
Peter's aware of, but the guards are not. Did you know that God can do things in and around your life and you're not even aware of it? But he's at work. And so don't let the circumstances of your life impact your heart. Trust God, when I pray, I trust that you're at work in my life. You're at work in James's life and his journey on earth has come to an end. He's closed his eyes for the last time, and now he's in glory forever and forever, and he wears a martyr's crown. And we'll see him one day. The angel says to Peter, fasten your belt, put on your sandals, and Peter did so. Peter's not quite aware of what's happening. But how many know God's aware of what's happening? When he turned to that angel and said to him, I want you to go to Peter's cell, and here's what I want you to say, and here's what I want you to do. Yes, sir. And the angel comes. Then the angel said to him, put on your cloak and follow me. So Peter went out and followed him. He did not realize what was happening, though the angel was very real, but thought he was seeing a vision. How many of us have had dreams at night or something goes on at night? And you, it's like you're right there. And Peter's thinking, oh man, if only angel would come, shine a light, kick me on the side, tell me to get up, get my clothes on, put my belt on, on my sandals. Wow, Lord. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the angel leads him past the first set of guards. <clears throat> then the second set of guards. Then they come to the big iron gate leading to the city. And it opened to them by itself. Oh, we put such limitations on God. We don't realize. There's a scripture that I've said over and over and over again. It's he's willing to do in us what is exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all we could ever ask think or pray that's the god you and i serve so would you make a point today in your heart to say lord i don't want to ever put any limits on you because no matter what prison i'm in you can release me from that you can do things that no one else can do. And what does he do? He takes them right to the very edge of the gate. It opens for them. And they went outside, walked down a narrow street. And at once, when he was outside, he's now on his own. And the angel just disappears. There's angels that work for us. Hebrews tells us. They're ministering spirits to those who are the heirs of salvation. Could you imagine at that moment, verse 11, Peter came to himself and he said this to himself. Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent an angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from everything the Jewish people were expecting to happen. As Peter realized this, he went to the house of Mary. And so there were homes all over Jerusalem where the church was meeting and was gathering. And he knew in particular he was close to Mary's house, <coughs> the home of John Mark, 
and he decided he would go there. And so he goes to the house. Many people are there. They're gathered. They're praying. And he knocks on the door, the outer gate, and a slave girl by the name of Rhoda. Everybody say Rhoda. I want you to remember Rhoda. Because Rhoda does something so special at this moment in the life of Peter. He knocks on the door. Rhoda comes. She recognizes Peter's voice. He's probably saying to her, let me in. <laughs> and she's so overjoyed, but she doesn't open the door. Don't you love how God works? Takes him out of prison of unbelievers, brings him to the home of believers who are praying for him to be released, and he still is knocking at the door. And she ran back and she told those that were gathered, Peter is standing at the door. And what did they say to her? You lost your mind. Ladies, that happened the same when Jesus rose from the dead, and God chose to have women go to the tomb first. Why? Because they would believe. The men would be, oh, let me see now, how's that possible? And they said to her, you've lost your mind, but she kept insisting it was Peter, and they kept saying, it's his angel. They need some clarity on some truth here. So Peter continued to knock. I can just hear the wheels turning in Peter's head. Father, you just released me from prison, or I was going to lose my head, and now I can't get into this door where all my brothers and sisters are. This is crazy time. And then they eventually opened the door, saw him, and they were greatly astonished. We're praying for you to be released, and you're released, and we're astonished. <laughs> How many of us are astonished when God answers prayer? An impossible situation, he intervenes, does it, and we go, no. So he motions to them to be quiet. And then he related how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell James and the brothers these things. There's another James in the story too. There's the half-brother of Jesus. There's James the less. You got to know the Jameses. The one we're talking about at the beginning is James the apostle. And so he tell James and the brothers these things. And then he left and he went to another place. So Peter decided that this probably wasn't a safe place to be. I'm going to go somewhere safe, and off he goes. Now, remember Herod? Kills James, wants to impress the Jews of the day. He wants to score some political points. Now, he hears what happens as Peter has left prison. At daybreak, there's a great consternation among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. Can you imagine them running around saying, who let him out? Where'd he go? And if one guard would have said, well, God let him out. Oh, yeah, sure. 
They didn't see the light. They didn't hear the angel talking to them. When he stirred, it didn't bother them. God had them in a supernatural sleep while he supernaturally woke Peter up. Keep in mind that you don't make comparisons to say, God, why did the family of James have to suffer the loss of their son and the family of Peter get to rejoice that he's still alive? You play the comparison game and you will always be under consternation. You will always struggle. But you just have to say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to run in my track. Dr. Diane, I'm running in my one thing. I'm going to do my one thing. And in that, I'm going to allow God to conform me to the image and likeness of Christ. I'm going to go through whatever I have to go through. And if I was to make a list of the things that Joyce and I have had to go through during our lifetime in ministry, you would say, how did you ever stay in ministry? It's because when you know you're one thing and that you're destined for glory with Jesus Christ and this is not the end of the story and all the stuff that goes on is only stuff for God to work with to show you that he's in control. God has everything under control all the time. You might be saying to yourself, whoa, if he has everything under control, he's not very good at stuff because my life is here, there, and everywhere, as is everybody's. But you put your faith in him, you allow Holy Spirit to lead you, and you trust that not only are there natural things that go on in your life, but there are spiritual dynamics in your life. God works spiritually. And so Herod was very angry now, finding out that Peter was out of jail. And he didn't want the pressure of that, so he decides to go down to Caesarea. He says, take the guards. The sentence that was due to Peter, due to them. And so Peter was going to be executed, now the guards are executed. I know what you're thinking. It's not fair. It never is fair, but it's purposeful. God's at work, and he always strikes at the pride of our heart to get us to a place of humility where we can really trust him. Herod just rises up with anger in his soul, and it goes on to say, Herod, having an angry quarrel with the people of Tyre and Sidon, joined together and presented themselves before him. And after convincing Blastus, who was his chambermaid, the guy that helped him, personal assistant, they asked for peace. And because their country's food supply was provided by the king's country, on a day determined in advance, Herod put on his robes. He's going to meet now these people of Tyre and Sidon. He's going to rule. He's going to judge a decision. They're seeking peace. They're seeking food. He's going to meet with them. And he puts his robe on. And it's such a beautiful robe with beautiful colors in it that when the sun, the gleaming sun, is on the robes of Herod, the people yell out and say, Oh, it's the voice of a God and not a man. His head goes. Pride just swells in his heart. 
And immediately an angel of the Lord, another angel. One chapter, we've got two angels already. But this one comes to war, not to release. This one comes to judge Herod justly. And the angel of the Lord came and struck Herod down because he did not give the glory to God. And the next part of the sentence is wonderful. He was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God kept on increasing and multiplying. So you say to yourself, Lord, what a crazy story. There's so many dynamics going on. Herod's running in a track where God wants his pride to be reduced to humility so God can work in him for the betterment of the people. But Herod's heart is hard. He works in James to be able to say, James, are you willing to lay your life down for me? Yes, Father, I'm willing to lay my life down. And he does. Peter, I've got more work for you to do. I've got at least another 20 years of work that I want to do in and through your life. And eventually, Peter, you will also lay your life down for me. Are you willing? Yes, Lord. Twelve apostles, it starts out. Judas betrays Jesus at the end. There's 11 left. And of those 11, 10 of them lose their lives or invest their lives as martyrs for the cause of Christ. What makes you and I think we're going to get away with everything just being comfortable? Life is tough, but God is tougher. Life is hard, but God is good. Life is natural, but we live supernatural. God's at work in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. The question is, are we willing to say, Lord, if you're at work, at me, if you're at work in me to conform me to the image of your son, then I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus no matter what. And I'm going to face every circumstance and every situation in my life by keeping my eyes on Jesus. Because if I do that, I will be at peace. I will be at rest. In the same way that Peter could lay down between guards, knowing in the morning his life was going to be taken from him and still sleep. Oh, Jesus, give me that kind of peace. The scriptures are not always easy to read, but they're always helpful for us. That when you're facing things, you can face them knowing that he's the God who works in the midst of adversity. He's the God that can deliver us, and he's also the God that can work miracles in our lives when we least expect it. So I want you to put your hands over your heart. Father, we want to say thank you that you were our God, that you were working everywhere all the time, that you illustrate in this passage that you were working supernaturally even in the life of Peter. We thank you, Lord, that in James's life, he lays it down as a martyr's seed 
the seed of the health of the church for the future. And we thank you that you're at work in every one of those stories. But not every one of those stories works out the way we want it to work out. But it works out the way you want it to work out. And so, Father, we echo the words that Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, thank you for touching every one of our hearts, every one of our lives, reminding us that you're God and we're not, reminding us that you're faithful, reminding us that you can astonish us, reminding us that you do answer prayer, but it's all in accord with your will as you're at work in each of us. And so, Lord, as we in a moment go out of the sanctuary today, we go out encouraged and strengthened that you're at work in our story. And in the journey that we face, we don't compare it to anyone else. But we say, Lord, do in us what is pleasing in your sight. And we will commit to following you until our very last breath. And if you're here this morning and you've never considered giving your life to Jesus Christ, I would admonish you to do that today. To open your heart and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I repent. I want to turn my life around and I want to walk with you. And if you do that, he will promise to walk with you all the days of your life. And you will have every resource available to your life that you need. And everybody said, Amen.